Welcome to a supplemental edition to the second episode of Sportsish. This is your host, Chad Shanks, and if you haven't yet listened to the full episode, find episode two, Bobblehead Giveaways Are a Logistical Nightmare, and get the whole story first. But if you've already listened to it and want to hear my full interviews with the subjects from that episode, then you are in the right place. This is my full interview with Phil Sklar, the co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. There's possibly no one else in the world who knows as much about and is as passionate about these little nodding statues as Phil. He tells the story of how someone can take their hobby and turn it into a business, including how friends and family react when you tell them you're quitting your job to open a bobblehead museum. If you've ever wondered why people love bobbleheads so much, this is the conversation that will hopefully fully answer that question. So here, without further ado, is my full conversation with Phil Squaw. First, just tell me, you know, a little bit about yourself. You know, where where did you grow up and um, what did you do before, you know, bobbleheads became such an important part of your life? <laughs> yeah, so I'm originally from Rockford, Illinois, which is about an hour and a half uh, southwest of Milwaukee. I, uh, you know, spent my whole life until uh, I was about 18 there, came to Milwaukee for college. I was always a collector. Um, my mom said, you know, when I was two, instead of like playing with the matchbox cars, I would, you know, organize them and collect them. And my dad was, you know, always uh, into sports card collecting since he was little. So he got me into that for, uh, you know, into that as well. So that was my first, uh, you know, collecting hobby and, uh, it evolved into bobbleheads about, uh, almost 15 years ago when the other co-founder who have been great friends with for, you know, over 20 years, almost 20 years, uh, got a, a bobblehead at a minor league team in Rockford when they started giving him away and he was working for the team. And, uh, I guess the rest is history. Now we have, you know, thousands and thousands of bobbleheads. Yeah. It's interesting that a minor league team is what got you started. I'm trying, I'm trying to, um, get some conversations with some minor league people because, um, like I always knew, Minor league teams took it to the next level when it came to bobbleheads and promotions. But I've been researching it, and oh my goodness, they get they get absolutely crazy with some with some of the things that that they do. Do, uh, do you remember what the the specific one is that you got that that kind of jump started the whole thing? Yeah, we'll have it prominently displayed here at the museum when we open uh, pretty soon. But it was a Rocco the Riverhawk uh, bobblehead of the mascot at the time, uh, the Rockford Riverhawks, and it wasn't as crazy as the ones that uh, we see nowadays from the minor league teams, but uh, it was sponsored by a cell phone company, and he was on his cell phone, so uh, it's a little unique. But yeah, the minor league teams have uh, always done a really good job of uh, making unique bobbleheads to capture uh, fans' imagination and get them in line uh, early to to get their bobbleheads. Do you think it's just? It- I mean, maybe this is this isn't what I intended to ask you about, but just do you do you think is it just minor league teams? They just don't have as much pressure. They're more have more of an impetus to sell tickets. Like, have you have you talked with anyone that works at minor league teams to kind of see you know what what their thought process is for getting their bobbleheads made? Yeah, we've talked to a, uh, you know quite a bit of teams all across the country, from the minor leagues all the way up to the pros, and you know there is a lot more flexibility with the minor league teams and part of that comes down to the sponsors uh, you know a lot of them are sponsored by local companies who are you know 
a lot of times do things outside the box and don't have, you know, a lot of restrictions, whereas, you know, most of the major league bobbleheads, given the, you know, quantities that are given away, have big name sponsors that are multinational companies and, you know, they have more restrictions. They might, you know, not want a bobblehead of Trevor Bauer uh, holding the drone that, you know, hurt his finger. Um, they're more inclined to do, you know, Trevor Bauer just pitching or, you know, something more along those lines. Although a lot of the teams have gotten more creative uh, in the major league level and have started to mimic more of the minor leagues, but it's organization by organization, you know, you really just depends on the people. So what was it about the, um, the Rocky, you know, bobblehead that you got that just kind of caught your attention, you know, being a collector for years before, what was it? Do you remember anything apart from, I know that's a hard question other than just saying, you know, I thought it was cool. It looked, it looked cool. Um, you know, do you, re- do you remember anything about it that really just that drew your attention to it as something unique and different? Yeah. I mean, at the time, so it was sort of at the start of when teams were doing the bobblehead promotions and, um, you know, it was fun. Uh, I think just, you know, having it sitting in the, sitting there and bobbling its head and, you know, something unique, you know, you go to a game and, you know, up to that point, you you got, a, you know, nothing or a t-shirt or a hat or, you know, there was, it was more just generics, you know, stuff, but, you know, the bobblehead seemed like it had a lot of, it had a lot of value fun wise. And, you know, it just seemed like something cool to collect, especially being a sports fan and, you know, more teams started to add them on the promotional calendar at that time. So, you know, you can't go to every game in most cases. So, you know, we had, we just moved to Milwaukee for school and there was, you know, five teams here counting the indoor soccer and uh, AHL hockey and then the professional teams. So, you know, we looked at their calendars and circled the bobblehead games because, you know, it's a great way to, to add to the collection. And, you know, if you're going to go to three or four or five games a year, why not go to the ones where you get a bobblehead? So that's sort of how the thought process started and how the collection started to grow. What have you heard from, I'm sure you've talked with lots of other collectors across the country and stuff. I mean, what have you heard from people as far as their, their reasons for why bobbleheads kind of, you know, captured their interest more than say a standard action figure or any other giveaways? You know, what is it about, bobbleheads in particular that people just seem to love? Yeah, so I think there's a couple different things as we talk to collectors and hear from people across the country, both on the collector side and on the promotion side from the teams and, and organizations that have used bobbleheads. But, it, you know, a lot of it comes down to the fact that they've remained so much the same over the years, you know, even though there's been a lot of uh, enhancements and different poses and so forth. Um, they've just you know, there's still that body with the head that bobbles, um, and they're fun. So I think that's the other thing. Um, but, you know, collectors really value them highly. And part of that is because, you know, they see after a game, you know, the bobblehead was given away to a thousand or 10,000 or, you know, sometimes even 40,000 fans and they're selling for, you know, in almost all cases, more than the price of the ticket to get in. Um, so they've just remained, you know, that item that, does have a lot of value, both, uh, you know, perceived value and actual value. Well, so tell me a little bit more about, I mean, who do you see now as the main 
collectors for for the or the what people are the biggest bobblehead fans? Is it more of the people who have the collectors type mindset, or is it more for people who you know have sentimental value in it, like remembering certain things about you know going to the game with their family or their favorite team, something like that? Do you or something else that I'm not thinking of? You know, who's who's the biggest What's the biggest type of person that collects bobbleheads, if there even is one? Yeah, I mean, we break it down to a few different, uh, I guess, market segments in terms of the collectors. And I think the biggest that we've seen is more the collector who has a favorite team or teams, you know, and goes to several games a year for those teams and, you know, really likes to go to the bobblehead games. And there's, you know, a large number of teams that have created bobblehead packages or flex plans that allow fans to choose the bobblehead games and we see those as the biggest collectors um, you know they're picking the five or ten bobblehead games a year going to all those getting the bobbleheads uh, most of them stay for the games but some of them don't stay uh, or stay for all of the games or all you know the entire game but um, that's really the biggest collector and then there's the hardcore collectors who you know want bobbleheads that aren't from their, even from the teams that they care about. So they want, you know, all the mascots or they want, you know, a wide variety of players who they think are, you know, superstars or up and coming players. Um, and, you know, those are you know, a much smaller percentage, but still quite a few out there who, you know, are collecting a wide range of bobbleheads. But, you know, the, the collectors, the biggest, you know, the biggest category there, um, you know, those collectors are displaying them at their office or, you know, in their fan cave or, you know, in their mantle uh, at home. Uh, and they have, you know, anywhere from 12 to you know, 50 bobbleheads, but those collections keep growing as, you know, every year teams keep adding. And a lot of those collectors, you know, they may get all of them, but they may give some away, you know, if they don't uh, care about that player or, um, you know, or they'll keep it in a box, um, in the garage or in their basement and wait until, you know, later to, to pull out all of them if they don't have room for them. But that's what we've seen in, in sort of trends and, and collectors out there. Have you done any research on what the, the number of bobbleheads the average collector has, or how do you define someone who's a actual collector versus someone who, is a season ticket holder and has just picked them up here and there. You know, do you, do you have ways of, of quantifying any of that kind of information? Yeah, we see most collectors when we've done some, you know, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't say completely scientific studies, but um, some of the market research that we've done um, points to around 20 to 25 bobbleheads for the average collector that we classify as a collector. Um, but, and some of those collections they'll say are, you know, they grow, Slowly, so once people sort of decide how much of their living space or office space they want to devote to bobbleheads, um, that sort of dictates it. But you know, people a lot of times will upgrade to a bigger cabinet or display case, or you know, add more shelves in their office to display more bobbleheads as the season goes on. But um, you know, a lot of people as well, once their friends or family finds out they're a bobblehead collector, you know, they'll keep passing on bobbleheads to them, whether it's ones they find at a secondhand store or, you know, if they go to a game and get a bobblehead and they don't collect, you know, they'll, a lot of times what we see is 
you know, there's the people who go to the game to get the bobbleheads, and there's a lot of people who just are at the game, may not even realize it's a bobblehead giveaway, or may not be a collector, and then they'll pass their bobblehead on to, you know, a son or grandson or somebody they know who is a collector. Um, so the bobbleheads usually wind up in either collector's hands or, you know, in the case of uh, people who are entrepreneurial um, on eBay or a secondary market site. Yeah. So, like, how did you go from, you know, guy that was going to games just to get a bobblehead here and there to actually opening up a museum, you know, a hall of fame for them? You know, tell me a little bit about how 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 you made that giant leap. <laughs> yeah, it was quite the leap, but uh, it happened over time, and uh, you know, there was definitely a lot of thought that went into the the entire process. But, you know, it did start off just as a hobby, um, getting a few bobbleheads at a time. And, you know, we started to realize, okay, you can go to the game and get four bobbleheads, sell three of them. And, you know, that pays for the game, the ticket, the parking, and maybe leaves you some more money for food and, and other things. So, you know, we realized there was that demand in the market for bobbleheads, but also, you know, the opportunity to, uh, you know, and the opportunity to, to potentially turn this into a business. And um, around about four years ago, me and the other co-founder wanted to honor a super fan from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, who's also a Special Olympian. And during that endeavor, we realized there was a need on the production side. Um, so we set out to produce the bobblehead and realized there was a need in the market there. Um, so we combined those ideas and thoughts and learnings with the fact that our collection was growing out of control, and by that time had hit about 3,000 unique bobbleheads that we had run out of room to display. Um, and through our travels and and so forth, we had learned there was no bobblehead hall of fame or museum, so we decided to create it. Wow, and um, your family was supportive of this. Yes, so um, you know we think thought of the idea. And hesitation. <laughs> no, it was, it's funny because we get that question a lot and we didn't yeah. get any pushback from family, um, or friends. So, you know, it's, I don't know if they should have been or if they believed in what we were doing, but, um, it was April 2014 when we sort of devised the entire idea to, you know, create this company that produces bobbleheads and also has the largest collection that's on display with exhibits related to the history and how they're made and, you know, everything bobblehead related. Um, so we told our family and friends first and did a lot of market research from about April to November when we announced the concept. And in October of 2014, we both quit our full-time jobs to uh, do this. And, yeah, we didn't get pushback. So, um, you know, if we would have, we probably would have nodded our heads uh, in disagreement because we were pretty confident and excited. But, um, you know, we had good backgrounds and I think they realized that, you know, we wouldn't have done this if we didn't know what we were doing or didn't think we knew what we were doing. And we've learned a ton throughout the, the process. It's been a, an amazing learning experience and we've adapted and had failures and successes, but um, yeah, surprisingly we didn't have any, any pushback. Yeah. And so you guys have had, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You've been on display at temporary exhibits, but you're about to get your your permanent place, correct? 2016 was our targeted opening year, um, and we had a preview exhibit in 2016. There was an opportunity to have a 
shorter term display at a gallery that's right downtown Milwaukee. So we jumped at that opportunity and, and had a really nice, uh, temporary exhibit where we were able to gauge sort of the interest and attendance levels and talk to people and get their thoughts on, you know, what they wanted to see, what they liked and didn't like. Um, so we have since, and we had been talking to the Milwaukee Bucks about being in their new entertainment district, which is going to be with their new arena that's opening uh, for the 2018-19 season coming up. Um, that didn't pan out, so we went out and looked at a ton of different sites in the downtown area and found one that we really love and have since started to have the process of moving in, getting everything set up. And we're planning for a May, right now May opening. We had a bit of a hiccup with uh, City of Milwaukee code compliance. Um, so we're working through that now. But uh, as long as that gets resolved satisfactorily, we'll, uh, we'll move forward and have an opening uh, here in late uh, spring, early summer. Wow. Um, so you said that you and your partner had a collection of about 3,000. I know I've, I've read that you've had some donations since then. And, you know, how do you, you know, what other sources do you have that are, you know, contributing to your collection and, and how many are you up to now? Yeah. So the day we announced we had right around 3,000. Right now, unique individual bobbleheads. We're getting closer to the 8,000 number. And a lot of that, majority of that is due to uh, donations and contributions from teams and organizations across the country that have sent in their bobbleheads for display. So we're, you know, we're extremely thankful to that. Also, you know, some individuals who have donated, uh, anywhere from one to, in one case, 1500 bobbleheads, um, you know, has continued to grow the collection. And every time, you know, we get a contribution in, there's bound to be some duplicates, but that's great because we're able to set those aside and, um, hopefully have some traveling exhibits in the future. So the more the merrier and um yeah, individuals, organizations, teams across the country have really embraced it and uh want to have their bobbleheads included or, you know, if you go to a game with a family of four and get four bobbleheads, uh, it's a great way to, you know, get rid of the extra one. Are there any out there that you're still looking for? Is there like a holy grail bobblehead that is super rare and valuable that you haven't been able to locate yet? Yeah, we, uh, we've we actually had talked about putting a wanted list together of the top 10, which we'll probably do uh, at some point and, you know, hopefully get some of those. And part of it is we've just gotten so many that we're in the process of chronicling everything and we got a bit behind. And so, you know, as they come in, we try to keep track of exactly what's coming in. But there was a big time there where we just had so many coming in that we weren't even we were just sort of not even opening them. They were getting, uh, you know, put in a queue to open up and get recorded and everything. So uh, we'll probably put that top 10 list together once we get everything, you know, out and displayed and chronicled here in the next few months. But um, there's a couple that come to mind. There's uh, some promotional bobbleheads from the 60s. One of them, a Yankees bobblehead, sold for almost $60,000 a couple years ago, uh, the highest amount ever for a bobblehead sale. So. Uh, that's definitely, you know, the ones that are unique, sort of one of a kind. Definitely we'll have some of them, but uh, there's definitely some more that we have our eyes on. Um, you know, aside from that, some of the older uh, iconic bobbleheads we do have, you know, like the 60s football and basketball and baseball bobbleheads, but there's a few that, you know, we'd love to add to the collection that we'll uh, 
we'll put out there and see if we can get. Uh, what's the what's the crown jewel of the collection right now? Is there a most valuable or most or, or rarest one that you have? Yeah, there's a couple um, that are you know valued in several thousand dollar range, which you know for a bobblehead is is high. There's not a Honus Wagner type bobblehead out there aside from the Yankees one that I mentioned, which doesn't get anywhere near the you know million dollar mark that uh, you know a, a good condition Wagner would would draw. But you know as bobbleheads evolved they haven't been around for as long as as baseball cards they probably will be some or there will be you know some more that are in that category but you know from the 60s a lot of the rare variations um are the ones that are you know becoming extremely hard to find and commanding high prices were the ones in the 60s was that was that the first time that we saw bobbleheads being created either sports related or non sports related? Is that is that the first time they they were ever put out to the public? Um so they actually they go the very the history goes back farther than that, uh to the late seventeen hundreds, but um the first sports ones were the sixties and that's when, you know, the people started to see, okay, this is a bobblehead and this is pretty cool and it was more uh going to the game, you know, purchasing them for you know, anywhere from a nickel to a quarter each, and a lot of kids played with them, and during that process broke them, so now, you know, the supply definitely has dwindled, continues to dwindle as people, you know, move and break them, and, um, you know, they are a lot more fragile than today's bobbleheads, which are still very fragile, so, you know, the the life uh, of a lot of them, you know, is, is shorter, because they drop, they break during an earthquake, and um, you know, things happen to them. And um, they looked slightly different, right? If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, like the older ones are a little fatter, and and you know they're not they're not as realistic looking as the ones today. Is that correct? Yeah. So the ones from the '60s and even you know getting into the '90s when they sort of made a resurgence uh, were definitely not very lifelike. They were more of generic, you know, smiling boys that uh, that boy face, sort of iconic with bobbleheads. And, you know, now the faces are extremely like lifelike. And if, you know, if a team produces a bobblehead that doesn't look like a player or looks like a, you know, different celebrity or person, that, you know, it's on the news because the player says something or the fans say something. Um, you know, there's been quite a few viral stories of the bobblehead, you know, not looking like the player or looking off, but, yeah, it was much easier back in the 60s when they were all sort of the same face. And, um, so yeah, and that's, you know, one of the fun things. There's, um, you know, some of those old bobbleheads of Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays, which was in the first series of, uh, player specific bobbleheads. And they don't look, you know, I mean, it's just a, sort of a generic face that, you know, if you saw it, you would never think Mickey Mantle or, you know, Willie Mays. Um, you know, those are also some of the more sought after bobbleheads. Yeah, when the when did they start making the comeback? You said in the nineties? Uh yeah, so nineteen ninety nine is when the resurgence really happened. I mean there was bobbleheads between the sixties and the nineties, but you know, there's more limited runs and some you know, more standard generic bobbleheads, but uh the nineties, nineteen ninety nine was when the uh, first bobblehead giveaway was, and that was 
really started by the Giants, uh, San Francisco Giants, and, and talking to them and uh, hearing their thought process. It was actually for an anniversary year. It was the last year at Candlestick Park, and they were brainstorming ideas for you know unique giveaway items. Uh, they had looked through some old magazines and saw the generic bobbleheads and thought, you know, it would be cool to give away a bobblehead. And so they called some of their suppliers and one of their suppliers, who's now one of the main bobblehead manufacturers, told them, you know, there was no way they'd be able to do it. Um, and then they did get one of their manufacturers to to produce it. And they went through a lot of iterations. Um, you know, they mentioned how lucky they were that they started the process extremely early because the first version, second version, you know, didn't look anything like what they were envisioning. And, you know, I guess the rest is history because, you know, ever since they gave away that bobblehead and teams across the country saw how successful and that giveaway was and how many people went to the game almost exclusively for the bobblehead, um, you know, they jumped on that bandwagon and, you know, by the next year, there was NBA teams, NFL, NHL, uh, all giving away bobbleheads. And soon, you know, the minor league teams are jumping on board as well. And, you know, now if a team doesn't have a bobblehead day, it's like, you know, what's going on? Yeah, well, um, do you remember, do you know the name of the company that manufactured that, that Giants bobblehead? It was... Who, who was the bobblehead? Did you say the player? I'm yeah, it was sorry a Willie Mays. Yeah, it was Willie Mays. Uh, a Willie Mays bobblehead, and it was produced by a company out of uh, Washington called Alexander Global Promotions, who you know is still in business and still one of the one of the leaders in bobblehead production. And you know, I think the comp- you know they had mentioned that the company that declined to produce or wasn't able to produce it, who now produces a lot of bobbleheads, uh, you know, always when they talk to him. Uh, brings that up, the fact that, you know, they sort of declined or, you know, didn't pursue that more. But, you know, now they've gotten into the business and now they're producing a, a lot of the bobbleheads that people have in their collections and that teams continue to, to give away. Yeah, I mean, I assume maybe it was just because they didn't have any of the molds or any of the, you know, they just didn't have the the ability to do it like they do now, right? Cause it was, cause it was so new. I, 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 yeah. I assume it costs more to get up off the ground than just getting one made now. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was definitely, uh, you know, it was sort of the thing with, you know, any new product it took, you know, some research and development and time to see, you know, what materials they should use. Cause they're not the same materials as, you know, they were being used in even the bobbleheads that were made earlier in the nineties and, you know, before that. And so, yeah, and a bobbleheads in that scale in the tens of thousands, you know, just wasn't something that teams were doing at that time. It was, you know, they were doing the T-shirts and the hats and the pins and, you know, the standard giveaways, baseball cards, and um, you know, things that could just be printed as opposed to something that, you know, was manufactured to specifications. And um, so, yeah, it was definitely uh, very instrumental, uh, you know, thing that that they did in terms of the entire you know future of bobbleheads because without you know and some other team might have most likely would have looked into that and had a bobblehead giveaway later but you know you never know you know if it would have taken off the same way or or what would have happened yeah um 
Do you know with any of the ones from created back in the 60s, have any of them been found to have uh, like harmful materials or anything? Like were they painted with lead paint or anything like that? Or are they are they all pretty safe as far as you know? As far as we know, um, they're all safe, although it's, you know, it's always a, a good question because products, you know, and, uh, you know, regulations have evolved over time. Um, and nowadays, you know, all factories that produce bobbleheads undergo a lot of testing. And, um, so unless it's, you know, something that slips through the cracks or is produced sort of at an unapproved factory, uh, they are very carefully regulated and the production process is regulated. So, uh, but from the 60s, you know, we haven't seen anything. We haven't done any independent testing. But, uh, you know, I would be surprised because, you know, there's so many of them out there and haven't never seen anything. But, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think there's any concerns. But uh, I couldn't say that with absolute certainty as we haven't done any, any of our own you know, testing or I haven't seen any official testing on, on the bobbleheads from the period. Yeah. Well, I assume any any of the ones you have from that period are going to be behind some protective glass. You know, kids aren't going to be able to just grab a Mickey Mantle bobblehead from the 60s and put it in their mouth. Unless unless you have different ideas for your Hall of Fame than what what I'm imagining. (laughs) Exactly. No, yeah, Um, they definitely won't be uh, accessible to touch and taste and and smell. So, yeah, definitely at the Hall of Fame Museum, people will be safe. And at home, I think uh, most people will keep those uh, on a higher shelf and away from the little ones. Yeah, do you have one of the uh the the Willie Mays um nineteen ninety nine one on display or will you? Yes. Yep, we do have one uh, on display with a ticket from the game and uh some other information that's definitely highlighted in our timeline uh, and the history of Bobbleheads prominently, uh just because it was such a you know monumental moment and sort of that resurgence of Bobbleheads that hasn't died down uh, since then. Yeah. So what to you makes for a good bobblehead giveaway at a stadium? You know, what are the qualities that set apart a good a good bobble, bobblehead giveaway from a bad one? Yeah, so, I mean, I think teams are starting to realize this over the past several years. Uh, you know, a truly good bobblehead is one that has some uniqueness to it. Uh, so it's not just a standard player batting. You know, there is, even if it's a player batting, you know, there's something about the face or about the, um, you know, about the posture that's unique. I mean, if the player is just in a generic batting pose, you know, it should match the player's pose. Um, so that's one of the things that, you know, we're always in collectors who are, you know, really like the, their bobblehead they're looking at is, you know, how, how much does it actually match the player's position or uh, their pose? Uh, the facial expression, the facial details, um, and then also the jersey. You know, is it accurate? Are the decals on there? And so forth. So I think that's what sets apart a great one from, you know, an average or below average. And you can usually tell how much time and effort a team put into the creation process. I mean, they can go, you know, as simple as say, we just want a standard baseball bobblehead of, Aaron Judge, or they could say, you know, we want him blowing a bubble and, uh, you know, admiring his home run and we want this logo in the outfield. Um, so teams have a lot of say in, in that process. And if it gets rushed, that's when you see some of the subpar 
bobbleheads or sometimes even mistakes. Do you like um do you like seeing all the the teams that are going with the Star Wars theme bobbleheads and the Game of Thrones bobblehead? I mean, do you like seeing the kind of like cross promotion with um movies and TV shows like that or you know, do you think it kind of, that they should I don't know, does it pollute the uh the the sports collectability of it or is is that a good thing for the bobblehead industry overall? Yeah, I think that's a good thing overall. I mean, it brings in new collectors and it brings in new fans to the sport. Uh, you know, if you have a Game of Thrones bobblehead of the mascot or of a player and you know, you're going to get a lot of Game of Thrones fans who may have never been to a game uh, in their life and they might come and enjoy it. Who knows, maybe there's a new baseball fan born uh, or several new baseball fans. Um, so I think from that aspect, it's good. And it also, from the other way, you know, a lot of the baseball fans and bobblehead collectors may not be Game of Thrones fans, may not know what it is. They get the bobblehead and maybe they watch a few episodes and they get hooked. So I think it's fun to, you know, see the crossover between them. You know, there's been a lot over the past few years. You mentioned, you know, Star Wars. Uh, there's been a lot of action. Uh, you know, superhero themed bobbleheads, uh, Snoopy and the Peanuts characters. There's been some a lot of collaboration. Uh, so I think we'll see some more of that. Uh, the Sandlot has been another one this year with the 25th anniversary. I've seen some crossover and obviously with being a baseball movie, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, teams will continue to think outside the box and if fans embrace it, they'll continue to do it. If fans push back, they'll pull back as well but you know i think ticket sales and uh you know attendance has shown that some of these crossover uh, promotional bobbleheads have been huge successes and so i wouldn't see that dying down if anything you know maybe expect to see you know more of that okay interesting interesting what are some of the best team giveaways you've seen um you know, are there any that just stand out in your mind? Like this one is, this one is really well done. Yeah, there's quite a few, um, you know, to pick a couple, um, you know, looking at promotions this year and in previous years, I think, you know, the ones that celebrate moments are always ones that are fan favorites. The Royals did a series, um, you know, after their World Series run that captured several of the moments really nicely. The Cubs did the same thing last year um, after winning the World Series. Um, so those and even, you know, the unique poses like a, a wall catch over the wall catch or, um, you know, something that captures the fans' imagination or, you know, encapsulates that moment in bobblehead form. And, you know, when that happens, fans who are at the game, or even, you know, just watching it on TV or listening on the radio, uh, you know, are are excited to get that bobblehead and to, to add it there to their collection because they have, you know, that connection to the play uh, or to the moment. And so the bobblehead really, you know, is a wonderful way to celebrate that. Are there any specific teams that, you know, you, you say would cons are consistently doing great work in that, in that realm or is, one of the major leagues um, better than than the others, you know, overall when it comes to producing bobbleheads? Yeah, so, I mean, there's always more baseball bobbleheads just given the number of games, you know, in the season and opportunities for bobbleheads. Uh, but basketball and hockey have continued to keep up in terms of the quantities, you know, of bobbleheads uh, 
based on the number of games that they have. So, you know, we're seeing the most creativity still in baseball. Um, even major leagues has been more creative. Um, you know, basketball and hockey to some degree. Um, and we're seeing some unique things built in like augmented reality that the San Jose Sharks did. And we'll probably see some more of that next year as teams sort of see how that went and how fans reacted. Uh, but you know, even, uh, across the league, you know, we see certain teams definitely standing out. The Brewers are one that, you know, we're one of the first to embrace the theme nights. Um, so they've continued to do some pretty unique theme nights from, you know, the superheroes, Star Wars, and even Stitch and Pitch, which is an event that, um, has gotten a lot of people into, you know, you, you wouldn't expect a grown man to want a bobblehead of the mascot, uh, stitching, but, you know, they'll, People buy tickets in the stitching section for the stitch annual stitch and pitch night and get that bobblehead um, and add it to their collection and be extremely proud that they have, you know, the entire stitch and pitch collection. So that's, um, and the brewers are continually to doing some pretty unique bobbleheads, whether it's, you know, Robin Yount riding his motorcycle um, or something, you know, along those lines. And um, so they're, they're one that definitely stands out, but. Yeah, the Stitch and Pitch series is definitely interesting and unique, uh, and a, you know, showing just how crazy people go for a bobblehead, regardless of sometimes what the bobblehead is of. Yeah, and uh, you said you had teams either reach out to you or just or send you examples of what they do to be to be put in a display uh, in the Hall of Fame. Like, how often do you actually hear from? teams themselves is it is it pretty frequent or do you just have a couple that you have a good relationship with like what what's the case there yeah it's almost on a daily basis where we're getting you know bobbleheads from a team from across the country a lot of times teams will save up the bobbleheads from the year and and send them out to us um in other cases they'll send them you know as frequently as they get them um but yeah we've developed and a lot of it's just teams reaching out to us but sometimes we'll reach out to a team when we see a really cool bobblehead or you know, they haven't sent us any or if we don't have any in the collection, which now you know, I would say every major league team um, and almost every minor league team, we have a bobblehead. Uh, and we'll have those on display right in the front. Uh, we have really cool glass uh, area by our reception. And so we're having custom shelves built and installed here in the next few weeks um, that will have an example from every team, which will be a lot of fun uh, in alphabetical order. So. Um, but yeah, teams have been wonderful. Uh, they've been really gracious and, uh, it's been fun to interact with a lot of them and to get a lot of uh, unique bobbleheads from teams across the country. And even internationally, we've had teams from Mexico, Canada, uh, a rugby team in Australia, just, uh, a lot of different places sending in bobbleheads. Wow. So is it as big in other parts of the world as it is in the U.S.? No, so it's definitely a U.S. phenomenon. I'd say U.S. and Canada, uh, but we do see them growing in popularity in other countries. Uh, you know, even in like the U.K. and Europe, um, bobbleheads have been around for quite a while, but in most cases, it's been more of a gift shop item that tourists from the U.S. go, you know, and purchase and bring back with them, as opposed to something that you know locals have. And a lot of that, I think, is due to the collector's mentality. Uh, you know. The U.S. has more of that mentality as opposed to a lot of the other countries. So it's, it is somewhat of a cultural thing. 
Huh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, and also, I think um, just the sports. I mean, the sports here in the U.S., you know, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, all having you know, this established major league system. And internationally, you don't have that. You know, soccer bobbleheads have been made of soccer stars, but, um, you know, just hasn't been to the, anywhere near the level where it is here in the U.S. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I'm probably making a huge generalization here, but is it? Do you think it has to do with it? Just you know, less competition over there as far as getting people to buy tickets for sporting events, or that you know those huge soccer teams um, don't have to really struggle to sell tickets. Is that have anything to do with it? Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. I mean, when you have 162 games in a year uh, and 45,000 seat stadiums. Average, um, you definitely have to work harder to sell tickets than, you know, compared to when you have, you know, maybe 20 games a year. And that's why, you know, even in the NFL, it's rare to see a bobblehead giveaway. Uh, most of the NFL bobbleheads are sold at the retail level. Um, and it's just because the NFL really has never had a ticket sales problem. Uh, you know, we might see that changing as, you know, people are watching it more on TV and, you know, teams have had recent struggles to fill the seats, but, um, you know, up until past few years, there really hasn't been any attendance issue, you know, for the NFL. Whereas, you know, hockey, baseball, basketball all have longer seasons that are drawn out with a lot of games. And, you know, they they do have to sometimes, you know, come up with creative ways to fill the seats. Um, well, so speaking of creative ways, I saw you guys got some love for the Sister Jean bobblehead that, um, that you guys were manufacturing. Um, I was, I, I saw Darren Ravel talking about that. A lot of people, you know, really got behind that, um, during the final four. And I was wondering, does actually manufacturing your own bobbleheads and going through the process, does that kind of, change your your view in any way or change your appreciation of what it takes to make a bobblehead and you know did you learn anything about them that you didn't know bef- before you had to actually make them yourselves yeah definitely uh, you know increases your appreciation uh for the entire process and for the detail that that goes into them uh you know the sister jean bobblehead we can would have never dreamt that it took off the way that it did but um you know it's been a you know, blessing and, uh, the timing was excellent because we're getting ready to open. You know, there's added constraints and, uh, you know, costs involved with that. And, you know, having a bobblehead that takes off at that level definitely eases a lot of that pressure. So, you know, that was, it was great, you know, in those regards. And, you know, it was great to see this, you know, Loyola do so well and, uh, Sister Jean's story take off in general. So, um, but yeah, every detail, you know, and we're, we're the only company, uh, that's focused solely on bobbleheads. Every other one out there is doing other things, whether it's, you know, t-shirts or other promotional items or, um, you know, other sort of variations that don't, that aren't bobbleheads. So, um, we pay, you know, so close of attention to every detail that, you know, if something miss, we miss something, we, we take it personally because we're, uh, you know, we're collectors and we want to see, you know, the the best bobbleheads out there. So when we're, you know, manufacturing and, and handling that entire process, we're extremely careful with all the details and 
not just the bobblehead, but the box as well as, you know, part of that. Um, a lot of collectors keep the boxes, and especially if they have, you know, pictures and information. Um, you know, we want to have the best boxes as well, you know, really convey it as a high-quality bobblehead. What is the um, your turnaround time as far as from the time you contact a vendor to the time you're able to get your, your first shipment? Yeah, so we use the same factory for all of our production. Um, we've been producing bobbleheads for since bobbleheads became, you know, sort of re reemerged in the uh, early 2000s, and so you know we're we work very closely with them. Uh, but time wise, you know, like with Sister Jean, uh, we started the process mid March, and they'll be coming in, in you know late May or early June, which is pretty quick for a you know production run of almost 20,000 bobbleheads. Uh, generally, it's about a 90 day process from design through delivery but you know it can definitely be sped up a couple different ways and um you know we've seen bobbleheads come to life in a few days in some cases and in other cases they can drag on for a year yeah was this is the sister jean one the most uh popular one you've had so far yeah so sister jean within 48 hours blew away any single previous bobblehead that we had ever offered you know, we, we had a feeling it would be popular, but we had no clue it would, it would be anywhere near that, that popular. And, uh, you know, the attention that it got during the, you know, what you mentioned and, you know, ESPN sharing stories and, and graphics and everything, uh, just was pretty unbelievable to see. It was on, you know, nightly news channels, the Today Show and so many different outlets that we couldn't even, you know, keep track and our phones were blowing up, up you know, and that, emails were coming through by the second you know it was one of those things where now sort of a month removed you know you can finally starting to get caught up and, um, but excited to see you know the production process coming along and getting pictures of them and you know looking forward to bringing sister jean the first one uh hopefully here in a few weeks because we're having a couple uh, aired in early to have an advance of the arrival of the, the full batch yeah, that was going to be my next question. Is it, did you ever hear from her or people at Loyola? I, I assume that those people would be some of the biggest customers for it. Yeah. So we work directly with the Loyola athletic department. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, actually me and the other co-founder went to the final four now nine of the past 10 years as fans. Uh, but this year had extra special, uh, you know, opportunities that we didn't meet sister Jean there. She, we didn't want to. You know, take up her, she was, uh, her press conference had more people at it, according to the NCAA, than <laughs> any other, uh, coach or player in the history of Final Four press conferences, and it was almost double. Yeah. So, she was a sought after person there, and, uh, so, yeah, we knew we were not, we're only an hour and a half from Chicago that we'd be able to bring a bobblehead to her and have a chance to meet her and talk a little more, uh, once they came in. That's pretty cool. Um, well, no, I've, I've taken a lot of your time here. I just want to ask in closing, like, what do you hope is, what's, the, what do you hope to have as the ultimate legacy of the, the Bobblehead Hall of Fame? Like, what do you, what are you hoping people that come to see it or, um, you know, ultimately take away from it? Yeah, you know, I think our goal is just to give a fun, informative experience, uh, to people who are able to come and, and check it out, but also an educational experience, you know, not just, you know, learning about the history of bobbleheads, but also seeing the story behind a lot of the people who are 
captured in bobblehead form. So whether it's, you know, former presidents, Martin Luther King, uh, Junior, you know, several of the sports stars, um, you know, there are stories behind each one of those bobbleheads. And I think people who come here will be surprised, you know, how much they can take away from the experiences. They're not just going to see the world's largest collection. They're going to see and learn about, you know, people who they may not have heard of before they came here. Uh, so that's something we're excited about, hoping that, you know, the legacy uh, lives on and that, you know, people will be coming uh, to Milwaukee for a long time to see uh, bobbleheads. No, that's pretty cool. I'm going to have to find an excuse to get to Milwaukee. Yes. Definitely. In the summertime. Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely in the um, summer, or, you know, early fall or late spring. But, um, yeah, we have uh, quite a bit to do here in Milwaukee, and it's just another great, you know, great attraction that'll be a fun stop on people's uh, lists of things to see and do. Are you anywhere near the the Fonzie statue? Yeah, I mean the downtown area is pretty compact, so you could walk there in about ten to fifteen minutes and be a nice walk along the river walk to get there. So uh, the Fonz, 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 Fonz uh, bobblehead. Yep. Yeah, we haven't done it yet. That's it hasn't been done. We've heard there is one Fonz bobblehead that was done quite a while ago. Apparently, he isn't a big fan of bobbleheads uh, for whatever reason. That's just what we've heard through the grapevine. But uh, it is one that's Henry on Winkler? The, the list. Yeah, yep. So, and sometimes you hear those rumors, and until you hear it from the source, you know, you know, you never really know if it's true or not. But um, that's what we've heard. But uh, we definitely have a long list of bobblehead opportunities that will be looking into and uh, hopefully pursuing, you know, and it'll keep us busy for quite some time. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Phil for talking with me. You can follow at Bobblehead Hall on Twitter or go to bobbleheadhall.com for more information about the Hall of Fame and Museum and for updates regarding its impending opening. You can follow me on Twitter at Chad J. Shanks And you can be sure to subscribe so you won't miss the next episode of Sportsish. Well, that's it for me. We'll see you next time.